EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs video episode. We took a nice little hiatus for the summer a week ago. Well, it was a hiatus, but I recorded an audio episode, so it's not that much of a hiatus. We never stop working here at EM Board Bombs, but no. for each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge, as we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. I apologize for my nasally microphone voice. It's awful. I'm so sorry. I am recovering from some allergies. Again, I've said this multiple times before in the Appalachian Mountains of East Tennessee. It is a basically a giant cereal bowl where we live and pollen just collects in it uh, for several yeah. months. It's pretty awful. Uh, doing any running or yard work outside, you just uh, suffer. Beautiful area though. Beautiful area. You should definitely move here. But uh, we have the wonderful, amazing Marlino Siski-Kuhn coming from the Ohio River Valley where there was a lot of histoplasmosis. Yeah. It's <laughs> another problem. This is the, the, the perils of living in the eastern United States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to be, uh, without Iltavad Hussein, busy at life. And so we miss him. We'll have him back soon, though. Don't worry. He's still part of that. Yeah, in our hearts. <laughs> Number one in our hearts. <laughs> he's still around. Let's dive into this stem here. We've got a really fascinating topic. This topic came to me actually because a work colleague suggested it. Probably the classic emergency community doctors, you know. Um, he was working a shift and he's like, Hey, you do that, you do that podcast thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, yeah, there's a, I'm just sick of people coming in wanting, you know, rabies shots. You need to cover rabies on the podcast. I'm like, well, do you, I said, okay, sure. I'll cover it. Um, and I'll let you know, you know, and then you can listen to it. He's like, I'm not gonna listen to it. He's like, I just want you to cover it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, so let's dive Thank you for it. your support. <laughs> yeah, anyway. All right. We have a 31 year old female arriving to your ED concerned about rabies. She states she was walking her dog. And unfortunately, a neighbor's dog attacked her, and she broke up the fight uh, between the two dogs. In the process, she was bitten on her knee. Now, the injury happened yesterday evening, but she decided to come in today after reading several articles online about rabies. She says the dog was not up to date on its vaccines, apparently. She has a bite wound on her lower leg that is hemostatic and moderately tender to touch. She has normal vitals in the ED. She proceeds to state that Besides the rabies article, she went down a rabbit hole of recent articles about UFO whistleblowing, especially the recent congressional hearings, and yeah. believes the two could be related. She also saw a History Channel episode on ancient aliens and how rabies might be a form of alien experimentation. You listen attentively but decide to ignore this and proceed with clinical care. Besides antibiotic therapy and aggressive wound care, what is the best next step in management for this patient? Choice A, give the first dose of rabies vaccine plus the immunoglobulin. Choice B, administer the rabies immunoglobulin but do not give the vaccine. Choice C, do not give the vaccine or immunoglobulin and plan for outpatient follow-up. Choice D, give the rabies vaccine but do not administer the immunoglobulin. Marlena, what's the correct answer? The correct answer here is C, do not give the vaccine or immunoglobulin and plan for outpatient follow-up. Awesome. Hey, before we dive into that, tell us about EM Rapid Bombs. We are coming up on less than three months away from your board exams, uh, young attendings, and just graduated residents. Think about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So in that time, you could <laughs> just 
freak out and cram everything at the last minute. Or you could do question banks that exist that we have all done for mm-hmm. probably our entire lives at this point. It gets pretty old. Or you could sign up for EM Rapid Bombs, which is our subscription podcast that delivers short, like bite-sized snippets on highly tested topics and is a really focused podcast three to five minutes each there's a couple new ones released every week we have over 300 episodes and that spaced repetition that you get with the email that comes a couple times a week along with the podcasts is great for retention of that knowledge that you want to be able to pull from on your boards so check us out go to emrapidbombs.supercast.com and you can also listen to a few free clips from the episodes on our social media profiles awesome totally check it out Ian rapid bombs as marlena said really just that coaching aspect is so unique Uh, no one else has that we're telling you what you need to know for the test as well as real life and with over 370 episodes it's pretty awesome i mean you're gonna be listening to just one a day really and uh, Mm -hmm. yes you can listen to more if you're trying to uh, get that in for you know your boards coming up but we encourage you to listen, you know, even after your boards, because uh, it's that continual learning. We have uh, the vast majority of our listeners keep their subscriptions after their board exams, uh, which is incredible. And it really is a testament to how much they want to learn after their boards. And because our podcast is relevant, not just for board exams, but just knowing the fundamental things that you need to know to be an emergency doctor. Cool. Right. So uh, rabies. Uh, Dr. Wasiski Kuhn, this is what got her really excited. I, you know, we were texting up planning for this and I said, Hey, we should cover rabies. And, you know, given her concentration in, in specialization, subspecialization into neurologic emergency conditions, she was like, this is my jam. I'm a rabies specialist. Rabies, <laughs> rabies specialist. <laughs> oh God, I hope and not. so she can't wait to cover this with her PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say that that did not contribute at all <laughs> to my study, um, looking up this topic and, and putting yes. together a lot of the podcasts. But mm-hmm. uh, it is a neurotropic virus. So there's mm. that. It has the word mm. neuro in it. Um, mm, yes. It's it's incurable, like a lot of fun neurologic emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> other than that. There's a lot of mentioning. I'm looking right now at rabies virus. There's a lot of mentioning of, of neurologic cell biology things so um, that's true that's true yes, um, yes, yes, yes so it's it's caused by a virus so it's actually mm, a viral start. illness that then becomes like a s- syndrome so mm. it's caused by a virus which is an rna virus from the ribdoviridae family which mm-hmm. is nothing that you're going to be tested on but just for your sounds intense and, uh, yeah I hope I'll never say those words again. Um, (laughs) It's it's transmitted by the saliva of mammals, and it replicates at the site of the wound or the bite. So it then gets to your peripheral nervous system via the neuromuscular junction and then travels along the peripheral nerves all the way up to the dorsal root ganglia and the spinal cord up into the brain. And once it gets to the brain, you have widespread dissemination, um, and that's when it becomes invariably fatal. So you may have this weird buzz phrase of negri bodies stuck in your head oh geez um, I, yeah some stuff one throwback it's not stuck again. in my head but it certainly just came back into my head <laughs> yeah exactly i'm sure it's on one of those like sketchy videos that everyone watches these days Gosh. but yeah I all the kids cannot these relate days. kids these days and their <laughs> their videos and their tiktoks <laughs> and they're sketchy <laughs> some, some kid the other day called it the talk to me Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. We've we've reached a new level of social 
definitions. Okay. So on the sketch, you may see on those. The That's the Negri bodies are uh, pathologic histologic <laughs> findings on the brain tissue of infected individuals. Okay, so who caused it? What, what, by far, what is the most common animal that transmits this worldwide, not the United States? Yeah. Right. So globally, by far, um, 99% of cases are caused by dogs, sadly, mm -hmm. as a dog lover. It's true, though. Um, you know, we're really good at getting our dogs mm -hmm. vaccinated here in the U.S. Um, and so the vast majority of the cases are seen in like low healthcare access areas of rural Africa and Asia. Um, here we've been able to end endemic rabies, except kind of along the Mexico border. Uh, so you may see that mentioned in test questions. Mm -hmm. um, but like most research rich countries, wild animals are the most common reservoir here in the U.S. Um, bats are the leading cause. A little over than a third of cases are caused by bats, but there's also high-risk exposures from raccoons, skunks, and foxes. Um, as I was reading about this, a cool fact is that the first recorded description of canine rabies was made by the Greek philosopher Democritus around 500 B.C. So he's ahead of his time. Around. Yeah. Pre-Socrates. man of all men. <laughs> <laughs> and dogs. Hey, so the incubation of this virus, the, the biggest thing here, and, and most of you know this listening to this, is long. It's not like I get it the next day. That's what most patients are fearful of is they come in, they read about rabies, of course, so they watch Hollywood movies about it. And they come in, they're like, I don't want to be foaming at the mouth, you know, tomorrow. And it's 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 just not going to happen in, within several days. There are super rare cases. I get it. That can happen. But so many things can happen to anybody that's super rare. The, the vast majority of cases here and what's on the test and what's in real life, the viral incubation period is variable, but it's 20 to 90 days. It's crazy. Sometimes it can be out to several months. Now, it'll be shorter for the wounds proximal to the brain spinal cord since it doesn't have to go anywhere really. It's there. <laughs> yeah. It's close to there. Now, in the brain, the virus has a preference for the brain stem, you know, the pons and medulla words that I thought I would would not say on the Ian Borbaum's podcast. And, you know, these aren't really important parts of the brain, of course. So I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that it's a recoverable infection. Breathing. But, yeah. yeah. Breathing the brain stem. And, you know, what does that even do? Autonomic activities. This is a scary thing, but the incubation period is so long. This is what gives us, thankfully, that edge of not needing to give the vaccines to the vast majority of people because we have time to sort this kind of stuff out. And we'll get to what that means here in a second. Why don't we first go over rabies? We have to just cover it, you know, talk about rabies for a second. I'll let Marlena cover that. And then I want you to kind of do a data dump and not really think about that ever again. And just know that, okay, yeah, it's scary stuff. And it's a pretty bad infection. There's really nothing you can do about it ever. So as with a lot of viral illnesses, your symptoms start with a nonspecific viral prodrome, really helpful things like headaches, myalgias, fatigue, GI symptoms, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. But commonly what they might mention is hyperesthesia at the site of the initial trauma. And that's because of the peripheral nerve involvement. Uh, so those sensory nerves get hyperactive once they get infected by the virus. Um, we mentioned that once a patient has symptoms, the infection is invariably fatal. So at that point, your only role is palliative or supportive care, unfortunately. Um, 
the diagnosis should be made clinically based on your history and physical, but just as an FYI, rabies can be detected and diagnosed through a lot of bodily fluids. But the CDC does state that there's no single test that is enough to rule in or rule out rabies. So you really just need to get a history here. The disseminated disease, once it gets to the brain, is usually represented by a rapidly progressive encephalitis. The patient's really delirious, aggressive, agitated. They have hydrophobia and hypersalivation ataxia, seizures, coma, and then death. So I read that apparently the hydrophobia is so intense that the patient will actually like involuntarily gag if they even like see or hear water. Um, hmm. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty metaphysical. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. Another weird symptom I read about was something called aerophobia, uh, which I'd never heard of before, but apparently it is fear of moving air. And I thought that both aerophobia and fear of moving air sound like some kind of like jam band songs. <laughs> and I'm going to go to uh, my playlist now. Yeah, right. Add it to your playlist, fear of moving yeah. air. Um, yeah. Encephalitis is sometimes called furious rabies. Although I really can't imagine myself using that phrase. Uh, That is what it can be called. Enter Sandman. (laughs) Enter Sandman. Furious rabies. Hey, so more importantly, what's board relevant here? You're probably never going to be asked questions about treatment of rabies. The only thing you could be asked about the epidemiologic thing about rabies is what's the most common animal to spread this? Well, worldwide, it's dogs. In the United States, it's bats. Certain regions are different. I understand that in Tennessee, apparently skunks. And raccoons are the, are the scariest. Uh, I think skunks actually are the number one, uh, maybe in Tennessee. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter locally. It, it just know that bats in the United States, worldwide dogs, and just know that rabies is really scary, hydrophobia, encephalitis picture. That's it. So what are you going to be tested on is this prevention. And it's going to be this post-exposure prophylaxis. And when administered properly, it's 100% effective in preventing the viral infection, which is fantastic. The problem is, is that it's extremely expensive, extremely, like several thousand dollars. Doctor's offices don't carry this. Only like, you know, level one trauma centers, major EDs will carry this. And it's like four vaccines you have to get plus immunoglobulin. So this is a process. So it's not just like, why are we debating this? Does it matter? Just give everyone the vaccine? Not at all. We have to be very conscious about resource utilization and about the cost because uh, this is an extremely expensive vaccine. So just keep in mind. Uh, that's why we're, this is, you know, this debate of when you need to give it or not, not just willy nilly, I'll just give it and don't worry about it. There's big implications for this. So what is the high risk exposure? Well, the obvious one is traveling to an endemic region. That means anywhere outside the United States from a bite from a dog, you're going to get the rabies vaccine when you come back to the United States. Absolutely. Remember that on the test that the patient presents with a possible rabid bite wound and the test list local wound care is the next step. That's obviously the answer really for any bite wound, right? Aggressively wash out with soap and water aggressively. And not just like, you know, your saline wash you do before you do a lack repair. I'm like, Oh yeah, here's some saline. <laughs> and you always put in your note extensive. Just kidding. Extensive. <laughs> yeah, extensive. Jet, jet l- uh, syringe. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually, you're going to be quite aggressive. Do soap and water scrubbing irrigation with soap and water. Post-exposure prophylaxis prevents virus entry into the central nervous system. Now, the indications for your post-exposure prophylaxis are the following. Any bite or salivary exposure from a bat or a mammalian carnivore, like a cat or dog that's high risk, or any close proximity with unknown salivary exposure, such as a live or even a dead bat in in a room. 
Now on the boards, if it's a pet or a canine or cat in the United States, they will make it very clear that this canine or cat, we'll stick with canine because that's just the most common one, they will have an unclear vaccination status or it's been acting abnormally. Even then, this is big deal, even then, you don't have to give the vaccine right away. You can observe the animal for 10 days, look for symptoms, and this is why we said not to give the vaccine immunoglobulin on this test question. This female was walking her dog, a neighbor's dog attacked her, and this always happens, I swear. Every single patient mm -hmm. I had that comes in and they're bit by a dog, they always say, I don't know if they're up to date on vaccine. We don't know yet, but the vast likelihood is they probably are, and it doesn't matter just because of her immunity. The chances of them getting rabies in the United States in a domestic area, like a suburb, is so, so Super rare. Low. It just is not worth giving the vaccine in this case, especially if it happened and you're only like a day out. In certain regions, in certain states, it's required to fill out a form for animal control. They'll come to the house. They'll collect the animal. The police will get involved. This is almost always a thing that happens in anywhere in the United States. Uh, so in the vast majority of cases, especially on the test, you do not get the vaccine to an unknown status pet. They'll usually have an answer like, hey, uh, animal control, call them. And that's always the answer. Or outpatient follow-up, close observation. That's it. That's the answer. Okay? Now, what about non-pet animals, especially bats? Those are considered yeah. rabid and, until proven otherwise. You're going to have to give prophylaxis. It's just a fact. And it may seem kind of lame. The lamest one on the test I've seen is a bat flying around the room and a patient wakes up and sees a bat in their room. You have to give that person rabies vaccine. It kind of stinks. You're like, well, that's kind of lame. They didn't even get bit. They don't have any marks anywhere. It doesn't matter uh, that you just need to go ahead and give them rabies vaccination. And that's just, that's just a fact. Yeah. Apparently we are all capable of sleeping through a bat bite. Exactly. So why don't you finish up here uh, with this last, with the vaccine schedule, last couple of facts here. We'll wrap it up. Yeah. So um, we mentioned before that you may have to fill out this form for mm -hmm. the public health department. So when you're obtaining your history, you want to know like the type of animal, the availability of the animal to be tested or observed more likely. Mm -hmm. um, the location of the wound is also important. That's going to be reported on the form probably. Um, you're going to contact public health. I know here I our public health department has like this big, long, specific form that we have to fax them. Um, it asks for lots of specific information and like where the incident occurred and any witnesses because they're going to go out and attempt to find the animal. Um, so for the prophylaxis itself, the patient is going to need the rabies vaccine and the immunoglobulin on the day that they present to you. Um, there's actually really specific directions on how you need to give the immunoglobulin. So it needs to be infiltrated around the wound, kind of like sub Q to IM. Um, you put as much as you can around the wound mm -hmm. and then the rest of it you give proximally to that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a weight-based dosing. It's like 20 units per kilo. So it can be like a fairly large amount, which is why sometimes you have to give more proximal to it. And I always remember like, I don't know if anybody else read that really tragic book, A Dog Named Kitty, when they were little kids. Or like I didn't. Oh my, my god. Parents, so my it, parents sheltered me from that. It's one of those sad books about a dog, but like the dog yeah. gets rabies and the patient has to get the rest of the immunoglobulin injected like into their stomach. And so I just like remember this getting shots in his stomach. And that's because that was like more proximal to where the wound mm -hmm. was. Um, 
So on the first day, you give the vaccine and the immunoglobulin. And then on days three, seven and 14, you just get the vaccine again. Um, they're not going to ask you like that specific days on the test, but you do need to know that they do need to follow up um, to get the vaccine again. Uh, sometimes they can do that in your ED, sometimes with their primary provider, sometimes the public health department. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of times it's just in the ED because we mentioned like not many places actually carry this immunoglobulin right. and vaccine because it is so expensive. Um, for some patients who have already been vaccinated, so like if someone was going to go to a country where rabies was endemic and they were going to be like, I don't know, a global outreach veterinarian or something where they were... <laughs> I don't know if that exists, but um, if they were like high risk to get bitten, they may have gotten the vaccine before they go. Um, and then they would only need to get two additional doses of the vaccine. They would not need immunoglobulin. So just know that the management of patients who have already been vaccinated, it's a little different. Got it. Okay. I thought we'd review some classic scenarios for the test in real life. So I'm going to yeah. ask you these questions. You're going to respond uh, what you think the best answer is. Okay. A patient wakes up with a bat flying around in the room, no obvious bite marks. Do they need the vaccine? Yes. And Good they answer. need the vaccine even if it was a dead bat. Yeah, I know. Those bats. <laughs> Don't go spurlunking anytime soon if you're scared of uh, mm -mm. <laughs> getting rabies. All right. Patient is bit by a skunk or raccoon. Yes, always. Especially always. in Tennessee, apparently. Especially, yeah, watch out. In Tennessee, they're on the hunt. So apparently skunks, I learned, have no natural predators. Uh, I was reading this National Park book a couple weeks ago on the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, shout out to local national park near me. And they were talking about this, about how skunks have no natural predators because of their, no one wants to get blasted by skunk juice yeah. and smell bad. And as a predator, obviously you'd be, you know, couldn't hunt that well because you'd be smelling like a skunk, but... Uh, apparently that's the thing there. They just know it. And so they just kind of waltz around the park and they know that nothing's ever going to eat them or kill them or anything. And, um, and it, also a group of skunks is called a surfate or surfet. It's a strange, it's a strange spelling of a word, but which is translated or meaning of means an excessive amount of something. So apparently a group of skunks is an excessive amount of skunks. It's always excessive. Uh, it's always excessive. Anyway. All right, next scenario. A patient bit by a dog in the United States. It's not a stray dog, aka it's owned by somebody, and it's apparently trackable. Vaccine, yes or no? No. Nope. You can follow up with animal control. It's super unlikely to be rabies. It's not endemic awesome. here. Herd immunity is beautiful. Herd immunity is beautiful. All right, lastly, patient bit by a dog outside the United States. Yes, always. 99% of global This happened to my best friend. Who's in med school right now, actually, funny enough, he's a uh, shout out to Max, a uh, great guy. He got bit by a dog. I don't think he cares. I'm sharing the story. Hopefully he got bit by a dog in Peru um, when he used to do oh, uh, yeah. biology research there. And he came back and I remember he asked me, I was still a resident at the time. And he's like, Hey, I got bit by this dog. Should I get vaccinated? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. What, gonna, what else are you going to do here? So, all right. So let's wrap this up. Hopefully next time Iltafat will be with us and this is, again, EM Board Bombs, and you can check out EM Rapid Bombs, our premium podcast, at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. We got a new awesome surprise coming to everyone that is a fan of EM Board Bombs here and within the next couple of weeks. We don't want to spoil it. We're just going to keep you on the edge of your toes, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Melina's like, I think I know what it is, but I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Melina knows. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.